This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 172 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. It was the bad kind of sweeps week for Georgia State baseball this week. We'll unpack the team's struggles and look ahead to their weekend road trip to James Madison. But first, some more roster news for basketball. Basketball got another commit from the transfer portal. Longwood forward Leslie and Carrywoom. He is the fifth member of Georgia State's recruiting class and will use his fifth and final year of eligibility, returning home to play in Metro Atlanta as he was a graduate of Discovery High School in Lawrenceville. He averaged over eight points in each of his last three seasons for the Lancers, helping lead them to an NCAA tournament berth in 2022. So, gentlemen, thoughts on Leslie? Yeah, I think we kind of all knew they'd add someone with some experience in the front court, and I feel like he didn't majorly stuff the stat sheets at Longwood, but like you said, consistent production the last three seasons. Um, Someone that certainly adds that level of you know, he was in the NCAA tournament in 2022. He's been around winning the last few years with Longwood. To pair alongside Jaheim Hudson and Ed Namoko coming back feels like a good addition to, you know, strengthen their in and help not even just like with what Georgia State's able to do on the court with what he provides, but adding in a good person to help get more out of Ed and Jaheim going forward because, you know, Jaheim, I feel like this is probably the year going into junior year where you're hoping to have him take that step where he is, you know, the experienced upperclassman, but he's only been here two years. And Ed obviously was a freshman, had a lot of, you know, learning on the job to do, was playing maybe more minutes than was expected. And also throw in there DK Manuel, the freshman as well, is going to be part of that front court. This is a serious injection of college basketball experience that should help all of those guys and Georgia State's prospects in 2023. It is, and it should. Um, you know, <laughs> I think last week was it I said that I, I have a sneaky suspicion that Coach Hayes is going to go smaller um, with his lineups, and I, I still believe that. Don't don't get me wrong. I think this is still good depth, um, but I, I still believe that the plan – as we sit here today is to try to be smaller for longer stretches of time instead of running a lot of two big sets. Um, but you know, if I can allow myself to spin those enter the spin zone, let's do yes. It. If I can allow myself to enter the spin zone, I think getting a lot of the same type of big where they're not necessarily like a bona fide starter, but they can give you starters minutes allows you to always have a big on the floor without sacrificing any sort of foul trouble. Like, you know, for example, if you got three guys who can play, you know, that singular big role, if one of them is in foul trouble, cool, bring on the next one. And th- again, this isn't to say that they're not going to ever run two big sets. Like that's just, that's not how basketball works. You absolutely do need to, you know, have size on the court, but I do think predominantly that's not going to be what Georgia state wants to do. When you look at the minute distribution that went this year and just look at what kind of the transfers that have come in and just where the recruiting classes, I really think that for the, for as you, one can plan for next November right now, they really do want to stay small and just have a rotating assortment of bigs that can kind of be on that second and third line of defense for both the offense and the defense. 
Yeah, and he's six seven, so he's a big. He's going to play as a forward. He's going to be, in some ways, a rim protector. Like the highlights that I've seen from him, he is really good on weak side defense, help side defense, getting blocks, and you know, getting some boards. He's not like putting up double doubles every game, but certainly he can add a dimension of that. Uh, but you know, we talked about this a little bit last week when we. But I'll rehash a little bit since you brought it up again. That you know, there were some times this past season where you had like Caleb Scott and Jamal Clias out there at a given point or Caleb Scott and Ed Namoko. And given that the guards weren't really the, offering the perimeter threat that you needed to having two more bigs that weren't going to step outside and take up that, you know, they'd be clogging up some space down low that also contributed to the struggles for you know, a guy like Dewan Odom to not have any room to get to the rim because it just, it wasn't, rotations that were you know sometimes you the people you had out there and sometimes it was because of foul trouble sometimes it was because of who was available due to injury whatever that was going on but some of those you know five out on the court at any given time were not very like it was never going to be a great offensive production from that group and I think like you're talking about if you're only having one or two you know Adam a rare time you're having two out there. Most of the time you're having one guy, whether it's Leslie, whether it's Jaheim, or whether it's Ed. That is going to limit the times where you have those just kind of not greatly constructed start uh, five people out on the court at a given time. Um, and like you say, foul trouble shouldn't be an issue because I think you trust Leslie to come in and be a solid contributor to this team, probably going to be one of the starters. You trust Jaheim. Um, he definitely had a lot of those spurts where you're looking at it and like, this guy could be really good if he cleans up some of the stuff where he's, you know, if he takes some less threes and if he, Ed was the lead where you had the least to go off of. Cause I think, like I said, he was learning on the job. He definitely got himself into foul trouble earlier in the season and played himself out of minutes for that reason. But I think year two is a guy that the staff wanted here. It's a guy that the staff knew was maybe more of a project. And so this full offseason for him will be a big deal. I do think that that three, plus whatever you get from another freshman who's coming in, who's seven foot, like I think you can work with that as your front court with the other additions that you've made. And that's the other part to mention is that not only do you have this big that comes in and gives you some credibility with some room protection, with some just experience, having less of those two big lineups and adding the shooters that you have, all of that is going to be good news for the offensive end of the court because you're going to have spacing. You're going to have guys that can hit catch and shoot. You're going to be able to provide a lot more opportunity for the guys that are ball handling Dewan or future point guard to get added to the roster in addition to Dewan and whoever else is going to handle that duty. They're going to have more room to operate. This is just, I think another element of that different than adding the straight up shooting, but another important piece to add and certainly look forward to. And this isn't a, uh, I didn't come up with this comparison originally. I'll say that Ben Moore was the first person to say it to me, but when I heard it, it made a lot of sense. I think you're looking to add someone who adds like what Eliel Semi brought in when he came to Georgia State, where it's an energy thing, it's a mentality, it's a mindset. And so that's maybe the thing that was missing more than anything when you lost Eliel 
this past season from the front court point of view. And I think more than any certain number you're looking for at any games, although if he gets another year where he averages eight points or more, that'd be great. It's going to be that side of things. And that's also, I think, where you can see the biggest growth from guys like Jaheim and Ed and DK. And I want to stick on that point because I think that's the challenge with the transfer portal. Um, And some teams are better able to weather that storm than others. And Georgia State didn't do a good job of that. And, you know, I think during the year, we talked a lot a bit about the lack of leadership um, and just kind of the inexperience that a lot of these guys had playing with each other. Um, they just both playing with each other and just playing in college basketball in general. Um, that was, you saw a lot of times when opposing teams would, you know, string together four or five stops where Georgia State kind of got out of their offensive rhythm or when teams would be able to score, you know, on those extended periods of runs where Georgia State was not able to put any stop together. You can just say the Georgia Southern game in Statesboro. We, can, we <laughs> yeah. don't need to talk in coded language. We know That's fair. of the games of which you speak. That's very fair. That You're absolutely right about that. Um, but, you know, a big thing about what it was able to help Georgia State, you know, avoid those issues as badly in years past is just energy. Like, honestly, a lot of what – endeared LAL Saseme to both the fan base and just to the team and his teammates was, you know, Georgia State gave up runs last year, the year before. They gave they went on scoring droughts. But you know, it was just a, a quick somebody's coming off the corner on a open three. They, you know, doink it off the rim and then there's LAL cleaning up in the paint and you know he's screaming like he does and just really high energy. And I mean, that fires up a team, you know, the tournament teams for Georgia state have always had guys who could be that fiery voice that, you know, I mean, Malik was a little quieter, but you know, sometimes, you know, Malik was a, was a little bit of a talker, a little bit of an emotional guy sometimes. Um, And, you know, I don't think that that was necessarily there on the team last year. And, you know, you really, you kind of missed it. So that's, that would be something that would be very welcome going forward. Especially someone in the front court. And I don't begrudge anything from Jaheim and Ed because, you know, they just, they were playing one, a lot of minutes and two, I don't know that their skill sets line up with being that yet. I think Ed could work towards that, especially with just the natural size that he has, but asking a true freshman to come in and be, that enforcer, that energy type is just a lot because you're going to, you know, you're drinking from the fire hose basically, especially because he was playing, you know, he's starting right away and he didn't play starters minutes, but he was coming out on the court and with the starting five to start the game. Certainly I think he could have earned starters minutes if, you know, he had been able to string performances together, but I think you've now got someone who can help teach that and, and kind of both by just actually going through practice with him and also just by example and seeing what he's able to do to where and extending that on to the other potential leaders on the team to where, you know, we're going to need to see steps, not just in just talent, you know, improvement and scoring and shooting percentages, but just cohesion and weathering bad moments from this team, because it's still going to be, a handful of the guys that were the major contributors on this team that barely scrapped the 10 wins. 
And so adding another guy that's been around winning and, you know, maybe he's going to bring in that energy. You know, obviously Longwood didn't go to the tournament this past season, but they were there the year before and they still put together a solid season. You know, he's going to have a different recent experience in college basketball than the Georgia State players because they won games this past year and they didn't make the tournament, but were in a position. I think they were the two seed in the Big South. And so you're bringing in someone who kind of is an energy guy in just his makeup and what he provides. And you're looking for any other energy than the way the season ended. I think that's certainly an important addition to make. Like I said, independent of exactly what stats he ends up with. I think that that alone counts for a lot. Honestly, that's a really good point that you bring up about the experience. Um, we didn't. We're not talking about him this week, but uh, Tanari Lane was on Winthrop, who won, went to the tournament a few two years ago, and they were the team that Longwood beat to go to the tournament last year. So, I mean, I think this the style of transfers this year has certainly been elevated versus the style of transfers last year, which, you know, that's it's not a criticism. It's just more a data point to suggest that, you know, we can see a pattern kind of with what Coach Hayes is looking for in the style of transfers um, that he's brought in. I mean, as important as whatever someone's going to bring on the court is just kind of what else they're going to bring to the roster. And certainly I think you've seen an attention to that for a team that's, you know, by the end of the season was certainly lacking for confidence. We can say it like that. And I think you've added some guys. Let's say that again. Hopefully the goal for these ads is to help change some of that around. All right. So let's go ahead and move on to baseball. Uh, it was an 0-4 week for the Bustlot boys, a weekend sweep at the hands of Coastal Carolina and a 9-2 defeat on Tuesday afternoon to Alabama State. Uh, these results leave Georgia State under 500 on the season and in their Sunbelt play, 14-15 and 15 and 4-5 and respectively. So, uh, gentlemen, thoughts on uh, this past week? Yeah, things have gone a bit old pear-shaped for the Bustlot boys, you could say. Um, I would say to start that I don't think there's really any shame in losing a series to coastal Carolina getting sweep, you know, getting swept at home. Isn't certainly anything that you'd chalk up as a success, but the first thing to mention is that they're a good team. They're, they're ranked in the top 25. And I think you're seeing them kind of, they haven't been the class of the Sunbelt at any point really since joining the conference. And this feels like a year where they've really retaken that mantle from a team that won it all within the last decade. And I think you saw some of that prowess coming through this past weekend. And you also saw kind of the two sides of the conundrum with Georgia State's pitching right now, where, you know, on Friday, Joseph Brandon for the second straight weekend just didn't have a great start and just, it never got better from there. You lose 16 to seven. And on uh, Saturday, you lose 10, eight in a game. You were up eight, nothing. And Ryan Watson, this, this is what I mean by the other side of things is that, you know, Ryan Watson ended up giving up a grand slam that cut the lead down to, I think, one. And I, it was a situation where if there were other guys that you really trusted to get outs in the middle innings, you probably see Coach Stromdahl pull them and put that person in to get the outs. I think because it's been a case where you're leaning on these experienced starters so much, you trust them and then everyone else that you trust, like in several levels, levels lower, 
And so I think you saw him get left in a little too long and the mistake happened that cut the lead to very, you know, just one run. And that cost you. And, you know, at that point, ended up giving up the lead, couldn't recover. And so it just, it goes back to the same thing we've been talking about for a few pods now, where just there aren't enough guys that are getting outs. And against a team like Coastal, they're going to make you pay. And they did that. And you're 0-2 going into the final game, which has been the where it's like, okay, who's going to give you these innings, let alone innings without giving up runs? Rafael Acosta actually has a great outing. He gives you six innings of one-run ball. You take the lead a couple of times and then just can't hold it, losing extra innings. And So I, I don't think that the actual sweep itself is this big black eye, but certainly you had chances on the Saturday and the Sunday game, especially when you're up eight on the Saturday. And that's, I think, where there's a disappointment is going to set in for sure. Honestly, the uh, I don't even know that I would call it a black eye. Um, but I will say it kind of feels a little bit like last year where Georgia state, you know, had a decent run and out of conference play. And then they get to, you know, some of the tougher matchups in conference play and the momentum by that point has started to sputter. Um, and then they get swept by a, a team that is probably better than them you know georgia southern last year on the road this time it's coastal at home and i'm not juxtaposing this year and last year's team necessarily last year's team still finished above 500 it was their first you know 30 win team in a a while um and you know i think you're right like coastal is a good team they have not been the class of the Sun Belt, but this year they, you know, have started to show that they have a baseball pedigree. They absolutely do. It just, it is very annoying is the word. I won't even say frustrating. Annoying is the word that I will use because like specifically the Saturday game, you know, admittedly I was out watching the March Madness, um, the final four, and I saw that the Georgia State baseball team, they tweeted, oh, you know, eight zero, the third inning. I was like, yes. Cool. Like, you know, they, the bats came out hot as they, you know, the, and the bats did well on the Friday games, you know, too. Like, I, I don't want to sit here and say that they didn't. They still scored seven runs, but, you know, anytime you take an 8 0 lead in the third, you probably are in a really good spot to win a baseball game. And they didn't. And, man, I just, I don't know what happened to the pitching. I don't remember it being this bad last year. Um, and it's, you know, until, it gets fixed. It's just, we're going to say the same things. You know, you got to get a starter on Friday that Stromdahl can trust. You got to get some guys in the middle innings that can get outs and, you know, you can give up runs. Like I'm not even saying that they need to be perfect because I think with the way that the offense is, you can kind of play with how many outs that you can give up. Honestly, honest to God. I think that. But it's got, I mean, give me 20% better than it is right now. And we're talking, you know, a two out of three weekend instead of a 0 and 3 weekend. Um, and, you know, kind of the same, a similar thing happened when they when they faced Alabama State. Like, I, you know, I, I don't know if you have anything else on the Coastal games, but Alabama State, a good team, decent team. They're rocking a winning percentage in the 600s. They're 19 and 11 on the year so far. And, I mean, if anything, the bats didn't show up. Like, yeah, Georgia State didn't pitch well, but that's kind of something that we've come to expect with this group. But only scoring two runs is not something that we've really seen out of this Georgia State team this year. 
Yeah, I mean, my point on the Alabama State game would just be like, that's their mulligan because they've definitely earned, like the lineup has earned a chance to have an off night because they've been leading the way and putting a, the team in really good positions to win games more often than not. I think you, the UGA game at Corey is the last real time that the offense kind of had one of those nights. They only got three on that night, um, only two on Tuesday against Alabama State. And so, yeah, like you say, Alabama State's good. I don't know if this is something where the RPI changed after the game or this was their RPIs heading into the game, but the numbers I saw was that Alabama State was at 136 in RPI, Georgia State was at 127. So you don't want to lose by seven, but certainly not a bad loss on the face of it, other than they desperately needed to stop the the fall that had been going on. Like, sure, you lose two of three at App State, but you you found a way to win that game against Georgia Tech at Cool Ray to at least feel better going into the weekend. You know, I guess maybe on the other side of things, that loss and the weekend series is going to be fresh on their minds, and they're only going to have this one off day as we're recording on the Wednesday. I'm assuming is the day they're traveling to James Madison for their game coming up, their series coming up. And so I guess maybe the way you can spin it is that that's fresh on their mind. They don't have time to think about it. They're just going to have to get it out there and play baseball again. I don't know. I don't have the magic answers. Certainly, it's been two straight weekends where you've not gotten both of Joseph Brandon and Ryan Watson giving you the starts that you have been leaning on on the Friday and the Saturday. And so this week, I, th- I feel like that's where your attention has to go is kind of like getting that back, starting from there. Um, but certainly... The other thing is that there are still a lot of games and you can very quickly back get back above 500 overall record and conference play. And it's still kind of a messy pack. Like certainly some teams have started separating themselves at the top of the Sun Belt, uh, the likes of Coastal. But record wise, it's still a little bit muddy to where you win a couple more series going forward and you get back on track you're not buried in the standings by any stretch. You're still in a position where you can at least land somewhere comfortably in the middle of the standings and to set yourself up okay for the Sunbelt tournament. The sky has kind of been falling. Like the moon is certainly not in the position it was a couple of weeks ago with this team, uh, but you can correct it. You can still get back on track. But you're just, again, the same thing as we've said a couple of pods now, you're just going to have to start having someone start piling outs together. Hasn't been happening in enough time, you know, hasn't happened to help out these couple of results these past couple of weeks, but there is still time, but that's, that's what it's going to take is just someone stepping up in the pitching staff. Someone's preferable, you know, certainly not just one person, but a couple of someone's, but I guess you can't get too picky with the way things have been going. I I mean, you know, like real, that's really it. Like it's not, you know, it's not brain surgery, rocket science. Like you just, they just got to get outs. Like, you know, I think we can sit there and have a conversation once they start getting outs. And, you know, even if you, the bats go cold or whatever, like we'll, we'll see, but really just start, start getting some outs and then we can talk. And, you know, speaking of it being kind of a jumbled up stumbled standings, I think James Hughes had a couple of rain games, but they're also one game under 500 in Sunbelt play. Uh, they've just played two less games. I think they had some rain outs, and that's why they've only played seven. But they're three and four in the Sunbelt. So it's a team you look at, even though it's a road series, that it's certainly not like you're coming off of this 0-4 week and, oh, here's this juggernaut. Like This is 
a winnable series on the road for sure if you're able to clean up some of the stuff. And Middle Tennessee on Tuesday, back at home before home series against Arkansas State the weekend after this. You know, it's a stretch of games that you can conceivably carve some winning record out of. Maybe you're, you know, obviously getting a sweep of four games in a row back would feel nice. But even if you're able to get to three and one of this stretch of games, even if you're able to get a split, like if you win one of three in Harrisonburg, but you win back at home on Tuesday, after going 0-4, anything that's not a losing record and not losing every game is probably going to feel like progress. Um, But it's going to start with, you know, getting back to where you can get those reliable starters minutes, your starting innings, you're not giving up as many runs, getting in a hole. And, you know, if you get an eight-run lead, you got to find a way to bear down and hold this time like you can't that's all we're asking that those games have got to start being chopped up more as comfortably as wins earlier in the season when they were going on those big scoring runs where they're putting up some big numbers and half innings they were holding those leads more often than not and what's changed is that you're still losing the games you've been losing and you're not holding on to those results where you get a comfortable lead and so really that's the one thing more than anything is if you get a comfortable lead, those are the games you've got to lock down lead pipe. We're going to see this one out. And if I, I have trusted that those situations are going to keep coming up because this is a very good offense. That's found ways to kind of bum rush pitchers and get out to those early leads. It's just about holding it on and playing a full nine innings. That's what's been escaping them. If they can sort that out this coming week in Harrisonburg and back home on Tuesday and I feel like it would reset a lot of just kind of the, oh, no, here we go. That's been happening the last couple of weeks on the diamond. The sad part is, is speaking of the holding eight run leads, like I, I, I think there is a a world where we could sit here and be like, oh, rats, the lineup didn't score for six innings. That's bad. But then you're like, well, I mean, for the rest of the weekend, they definitely did score. And, you know, like, yeah, don't go six innings without scoring at least one run. But eh, he still had eight on the board when you did that. So I, I can't even really be mad about it, you know? Yeah, I can't ever get to the point where I'm begrudging an offense for only scoring eight. It's like eight. You know, sometimes you're going to need more than that. College baseball is a crazy game. But I, if you're getting eight runs, it's like the stat we talked about last week. I, I'm, I think that stat's probably gotten worse. They were exactly. averaging 10 runs a game through the last 16, and they were eight and eight. I don't know if they've got – they didn't get over 10 in any of the games this week, but the average was still decent scoring-wise and they lost all four games. So it, the offense, you can't ever, I think when it's producing as well as it has just in the aggregate, I don't think you can look at it in those little minor details and say, like, of course, score more runs in a game. Sure. When they give up the lead, you're going to have to find a way to get those two runs back and not lose 10 to eight. But you know, they did spot the pitching eight run lead and we're not able to make that stick. All right, and last but not least for you this week, we, of course, have to talk about everything that's going on in Georgia State Athletics starting today as of the release of this podcast. Softball hosting James Madison for a doubleheader in Atlanta at 3 p.m. and 5 p.m. Both of those games will be on ESPN+, Plus, as well as baseball traveling the other way to Harrisonburg to face James Madison at 6 p.m., that game also on ESPN+. Plus. Moving on to Friday, 
Men's golf travels to Raleigh, North Carolina for the Stitch at NC State. That is a Friday and Saturday event. Beach Volleyball hosts the GSU Diggin' Duels in uh, Atlanta. First up, 10.30 a.m. versus UT Martin. And then again at 5 p.m. versus Stetson. Softball at 1 p.m. We'll play James Madison in another game in that series in Atlanta. And then, of course, baseball continues their series in Harrisonburg against the Dukes as well at 6 p.m. Both softball and baseball will be on ESPN Plus on Friday as well. Saturday, men's golf continues, of course, with uh, the stitch up at NC State. Women's track and field travels to both Tampa and Athens for the USF invite and the Spec Towns and Torin Lawrence Invitational, respectively. And then women's tennis hosting Texas State in Atlanta at 10 a.m. Men's tennis travels to Mobile to face South Alabama at 10 a.m. Beach volleyball continues in the dig and duels against South Carolina at 10.30 a.m. And then against UAB at 5.15 p.m. And then baseball plays James Madison again in Harrisonburg at 1 p.m. on ESPN+. On to Sunday. Women's tennis hosts Louisiana and Atlanta at 10 a.m., and men's tennis travels to Troy, Alabama to face the Trojans at 1 p.m. And then finally on Tuesday, baseball hosts Middle Tennessee at the GSU Baseball Complex at 4 p.m. That game will be on WGTJFM 97.5. And that is everything happening in Georgia State Athletics this week. Of course, hope you have a fantastic week. Get out and uh, see some of these teams in action. And we will catch you in the next episode of the Thursday Night Podcast. See ya.